Mark Zuckerberg told The New Yorker the news source he definitely follows is TechMeme. So listen to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast, the podcast anyone who's anyone in Silicon Valley listens to every day. In just 15 to 20 minutes, you get a rundown of what happened in the world of tech with all the headlines, context, commentaries, and tweets from all the biggest players. New episodes every day at 5 p.m. Eastern. Search your favorite podcast app for Ride Home and subscribe to the Tech Meme Ride Home podcast. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Zenni offers thousands of affordable eyewear styles, starting at just $6.95. No ridiculous markups, no hassles, just quality, affordable eyewear delivered right to you. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. We learned today we lost a friend and colleague, Anthony Bourdain. I know many of you who watched him feel you too have lost a friend, a travel companion who was always up for an adventure. Anthony Bourdain died by suicide in northeastern France. He was 61 years old with a young daughter, an incredible career, a successful and critically acclaimed show on this network. He loved and was loved in return. Many of you, like many of us, are feeling a whole range of emotions. Shock, sadness, confusion that a man who was seemingly having the ride of his life in the middle of his life has now suddenly reached the end of his life. Anthony is the second public figure to die this way this week. Kate Spade was the first. Some experts point to a phenomenon they call suicide contagion, which often happens at moments such as this. For that reason tonight, as we remember Anthony Bourdain and his extraordinary life, we'll also be talking about steps to take that could save someone else's life, maybe someone watching right now. Throughout the hour, we'll be showing the number at the bottom right corner of your screen, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK, which is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and people are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We'll also be joined shortly by an expert in the field about warning signs and how to help those in need. But first, and throughout this hour, we want to remember our friend and our colleague, one of this country's greatest storytellers, Anthony Bourdain. We ask very simple questions. What, what makes you happy? What do you eat? What do you like to cook? And everywhere in the world we go and ask these very simple questions, uh, we tend to get some really astonishing answers. More importantly, even, I think, it's hard to imagine he's gone. Hard to imagine he's not just off on some faraway journey. Hard to imagine he'll not soon return with new stories to tell, new foods to share. You know, food is the entryway. I'm a guy who spent 30 years cooking food professionally. Uh, that's where I come from. That's how I'm always going to look at the world. But food isn't everything. And, and something comes up, I'm happy to get up from the meal and wander off elsewhere. Anthony Bourdain saw the world and experienced life in a way most people never will. In places near and far, he talked and tasted with open mouth and eyes and open heart and mind. Over the years, when Anthony returned, we would meet up and discuss the places he'd just been, usually at a restaurant table or in a kitchen, where he'd encourage me to expand my limited culinary curiosity. Yeah, the word on the street is you hate food. I am not a big foodie. Yes, <laughs> that is true. I thought, what is Anderson really going to be freaked out by? <laughs> What's really going to offend him? I can do the smell is already and, quite And pungent. terrify him. That was, that was a thymus gland. That was a what? A thymus gland. Thymus gland. Where would, where would that be? I think it's somewhere around your neck. <sighs> Glad I didn't know before I ate it. What was that? Aorta. Aorta. It's a mm. aorta from the heart. 
Got it. But it's a valve to the heart. Yeah, no, I'm familiar. Kind of valve. I didn't know it was edible. I didn't know you could eat in any order. No, you can eat anything, man. Yeah, well, apparently. Why is it called blood sausage? What is it? Because it's made from blood. You know, if it's really good, it's kind of squirty. Mmm. Actually, that's completely delicious. Anthony loved drinking and eating, tasting the delights of the world, immersing himself in other cultures and countries, bringing the rest of us along on his journey. His shows were full of references to movies he loved, music he worshipped, books he'd read and reread. It is the setting, uh, an important factor for me, of The Heart of Darkness. Uh, my favorite, my favorite book. Which, yeah. a book that I'm obsessed with. Are you really? Um, uh, only exceeded by my obsession with Apocalypse Now. No, this is my favorite movie. So we pretty much tracked that story arc uh, as a means of exploring the Congo. As a kid, I wanted to be Colonel Kurtz. I know he wasn't the... Really? Yeah, I know. <laughs> no, I wanted to be Colonel Kurtz in Apocalypse Now, in the movie. I wanted, to, I wanted to have, like, a Montagnard army. Yeah, was, that was a strange I, I did... I. I I'm with you on the Montagnard Army for sure. That always sounded cool. Uh, Finally, I've been trying to get in this country five years now. By the time of his death, Anthony had visited more than 80 countries, many of them multiple times. Even if food was not your passion, Anthony could enthrall you with what he saw and learned in the places he went. And watching your shows, I realize I'm missing out on an entire side of the places that I'm visiting because I'm not experimenting with the food. But people are telling you a story when they give you food. And if you don't accept the food, you are, in many cultures, whether rural Arkansas or Vietnam, you're rejecting the people. And they, I mean, we see it many, many times. Uh, Because I'm accepting the food, even if it's either out of my comfort zone or outright appalling, um, because I'm nodding, saying yes, I'll try it, thank you, uh, people open up. Right. And the relationship proceeds, uh, proceeds from, from that point and, and becomes something very, very different. People are often surprised to see Americans you know, eat their food. They're right. pleasantly surprised. People are they're telling you something about themselves. They're, they're, chances are they're very proud of their food traditions, even if... What they have to offer is very little. Has it, has, have there been times though where you've said absolutely like, I, I just can't eat that. I know it's going to make me sick. No, I, I mission one on the show is um, if you have to take one for the team, you take one for the team. <laughs> um, I try to be a good guest. Um, there have been times where freshness is clearly an issue. Um, I know I'm very likely going to pay a price, but um, in almost every case. You know, a magic moment is happening, and I'm going to see a lot more if I just suck it up and eat the nasty bit. Um, the vast majority of those experiences are, in fact, very pleasurable journeys of discovery. Uh, but every once in a while, it's unpleasant. What's the worst thing that can happen? You know, it's a, a course of antibiotics. Uh, what do you get in return? I think a lot. He was born Anthony Michael Bourdain on June 25th, 1956. He grew up in New Jersey, but spent time with relatives in France in the summers. That's where he developed his appreciation of fine foods. He started working in kitchens at a young age, first washing dishes, then moving up to line cook. He became addicted to heroin and cocaine during this time of his life, but beat the habit and eventually rose to become executive chef at Leal Restaurant in New York City. He took me there in 2015 to cook a traditional French dish. This is tripe. 
What is tripe? A tripe, that, that's one of those words that I know means something else. That it I, means good. I don't eat. It means good. It's, no, there's plenty of stuff on a cow to eat. Why do you need to eat the stomach lining? Because you got to work hard for the good stuff. <laughs> In 1999, when Anthony was 44, he sent a humorous and slightly shocking essay to the New Yorker magazine about the realities of working in a restaurant kitchen. To his surprise, they published it. And that led to his best-selling memoir, Kitchen Confidential, Adventures in the Culinary Underbelly. Soon after that, he landed his first TV show, A Cook's Tour, which aired on the Food Network. It was the beginning of his rise to fame. As a cook, tastes and smells are my memories. And now I'm in search of new ones. So I'm leaving New York City and hope to have a few epiphanies around the world. And I'm willing to go to some lengths to do that. I'm looking for extremes of emotion and experience. I'll try anything. I'll risk everything. I have nothing to lose. He went on to host No Reservations on the Travel Channel and then in 2012 joined CNN. Parts Unknown, which won plenty of awards over the years, was far more than a show about just cooking and eating. Anthony was a great storyteller. His voice was unique and fearless. He was as interested in politics and music and culture as what was cooking on the stove. That was the beginning of the erosion of our society as we know it. I make lots and lots and lots and lots of money. That money will somehow trickle down to you. No way, I share my toilet with no man. Stop. Move it along. Stop. Move it along. I am a man of simple needs. The idea of running up the steps and disemboweling uh, royals, I can easily imagine myself doing that. It would not take much convincing. Now where's my damn toga? I describe Parts Unknown as a series of essays, of standalone essays, that generally try to focus on the subject of food and where it comes from, but not always. People everywhere are pretty much the same. The show was so popular, even President Barack Obama wanted in on it. He sat down with Anthony for an episode in Hanoi, Vietnam in 2016. Now, is it appropriate to just pop one of these whole suckers in your mouth, or do you think that you should be a little more... Uh, well, slurping is totally acceptable in this part of the world. <laughs> it takes some skills, by the way, to handle these sticky cold noodles. But whatever your opinion of the man, the president has those skills. Mm. I gotta say... This is killer. I'm glad I could help, and to, to many I more Absolutely. Anthony was always himself on camera, always honest about what he saw, how he felt. In one episode about the opioid crisis, he talked about his struggle with addiction in the past. You know, something was missing in me, whether it was a self-image situation, whether it was a character flaw. There was some dark genie inside me that I very much hesitate to call a disease. Uh, that led me to dope. He was married twice, and in 2007 welcomed a daughter, Ariane, into the world. After she was born, he told People magazine that she gave him a reason to live. This is her voice in a special episode of Parts Unknown in 2014. It's been two years on the road with Parts Unknown. How do you feel about the show? Has the experience changed? Is it still fun? (laughs) That's a hard question. You know, one of the great things about travel is just when you think, I've had enough of this, something really interesting happens. And interesting things happen to me all the time. All the time. I still feel I have the best job in the world. And it's still fun. More importantly, even, I think, uh, it's still interesting. And uh, it's still challenging. In a good way. 
Who wouldn't do this if, if they could? It's impossible from the outside to ever fully know what goes on in someone else's heart or in their head. It's impossible to fathom how quickly one's life can change. Anthony once wrote, As you move through this life and this world, you change things slightly. You leave marks behind, however small. And in return, life and travel leaves marks on you. Most of the time, those marks on your body or your heart are beautiful. Often, though, they hurt. Tonight, the hurt for all of us who knew Anthony, for all of us who came to know him through his travels, that hurt is strong. The shock is real. The sadness is just beginning to sink in. Anthony Burdain was 61 years old. When we come back, his longtime friend and on-screen collaborator, fellow cook and cookbook author Michael Ruhlman joins us. As we go to break, here's a moment I shared with Anthony in my kitchen as he was telling me about his recent trip to South Korea. So for this upcoming episode, you go to South Korea, and to celebrate that, we're, you're going to cook a, a South Korean dish? Yes, it's the king. I mean, this is, you know, you talk about something called dorm food mm-hmm. or bro food or, you know, the sort of thing like if you, I'm, and I'm not saying you ever would be, but if you were sort of not at your best at 2 o'clock in the morning, sure. like if you had eight more of these, okay. and, right. you know, or hitting the bong with, you know, Blitzer. Um, <laughs> You know, and you, it's situation room, I'm telling you, it gets dark in there. Tired of spending hundreds of dollars for prescription glasses? Our friends at Zenni Optical offer a huge variety of high quality, stylish frames and state of the art optics starting at just $6.95. You can get multiple frames with this great pricing for less than one pair elsewhere. Start building your eyewear wardrobe from the comfort of your own home at Zenni.com. With the latest trends in eyewear, available in hundreds of frame styles and materials, there isn't a better way to change it up for every season. Plus, Zenni offers prescription sunglasses at incredible prices. Visit Zenni today at zenni.com slash CNN. That's Z-E-N-N-I dot com slash CNN. Do you feel uh, enlightened and inspired by this meal? What are you asking? What are you getting at here? You're trying to get at something trying to make myself feel better. I mean, I'm trying to trying to prove that I'm down with the people, man. I'm, this, I'm still I'm, I'm still cool. This, this guilt <laughs> this guilt keeps coming back. You keep, I, I, you keep bringing up the guilt. You're right. I feel guilty. Then don't do these shows. What are you doing here if you feel so guilty about it? I don't. I don't. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. That's more to the point. Now you're right. starting to be honest with yourself. Right. That's Anthony Bourdain and his friend, fellow cook and cookbook author, Michael Ruhlman, in a a Parts Unknown episode in Las Vegas. Because every Don Quixote needs a Sancho Panza, every bandit needs a snowman, the question always being which one was which, Michael Ruhlman joins us now. Uh, Michael, thanks so much for for, for being with us. You guys were friends, I know, for a long time. Um, Just talk a little bit about about Anthony. Um, Everybody would always ask me, what's he really like? Um, and the fact is, he was exactly like what you saw on TV, and I think that's what people loved about him. Anderson, you know this very well. He was as straightforward, a straight shooter, um, and he said he called things the way he saw it. And, 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 and I, I can't believe he's not here anymore. We need people like him. He was so beloved. Um, he was 
much more sensitive than people realize because of his bravado, because of the way he ate and the way he, you know, his foul language, beautifully used, artfully used, his foul language. Um, they don't realize how sensitive he was. Um, he was an enormously sensitive person, which is why he helped so many chefs. He was so helpful. Um, that combined with e extraordinary intelligence uh, gave him the, the, that bravado and the combination of that intelligence and sensitivity made him one of the great storytellers of our time. You know, he was on the road. I, I can't remember the last time I asked him when I, when I, I had a meal with him, I don't know, a month or two or three ago. And I asked him how many days he's on the, the road a year. And it was something like 200 and, and something. D did he still love it? I mean, you know, I used to travel not that much. And, you know, it takes a toll. It's hard. It's lonely. It's hard. It's lonely. Uh, they travel lean and mean for that show. Um, yeah, he was always tired. But I think... He, he loved it. He loved people, and he loved culture, and he loved food, and he loved what he was doing. I mean, here was a guy who was a drug addict and a line cook for half his life and transformed himself into award-winning journalist, a best-selling author, and an extraordinarily successful TV personality, which he hated to call himself, but that's what he was. And he, and he, he transformed the medium of, of, of food journalism, food travel shows. Uh, so he did so much. And he never forgot how lucky he was to be where he was. He was always humble. The, uh, I'm going to ask a question which I, I don't think there's an answer to, and, but I'm sure it's going to be a question that you're going to get as a friend of his a lot. Um, d does any of the, I mean, do you understand what happened or, or why? Uh, I do not. Um, the last I knew, uh, he was in love. Um, he was happy. He said, love abounds. Some of the last words he said to me. Um, that was a while ago. When I saw him, he looked tired, um, but I have no idea. I think, uh, his, I think his best friend, Eric Repair, was with him and found him. Um, Eric would be the only person to know, and I don't know if he knows. Yeah. I don't know. I, my brother died by suicide 30 years ago, and I, I still ask that question, and, oh, yeah. and sometimes there, there isn't any answer. You, you traveled with Tony to Cleveland, uh, also the Hudson Valley, I remember, Las Vegas for no... no uh, no reservations, mm -hmm. also parts unknown. I just want to play a clip from uh, your Las Vegas uh, episode with him that aired in 2005. Let, let's just watch this. Tell me about the prize. Be honest. One fry, right. and it was over. That really sucks, but this does taste like my childhood. My worst nightmare. I'm really angry now because they, they're really good. Petty, unlovely feelings bubbling to the surface. I'm sorry. Jealousy, rage. I'm in a lonely, angry, bitter place. I'm so unhappy about these fries that I like them. God help me, I just lost it. Oh, my God. He got so pissed at the fries. Look what you did, Ruhlman, you savage, disgusting beast. I love that he would get pissed about fries. <laughs> uh, he was great. I remember that meal well at Bouchon in Las Vegas. Um, he wanted to hate it, but he didn't. Uh -huh. And that's also what we loved about him. You know, he would call bullshit where he saw it, and he would, he would, he would praise something uh, where he saw it. He didn't let anybody tell him what to think. He thought for himself. Uh, and he was funny. He was so funny all the time. I was always laughing when I was around him. Yeah, I always got the sense that he had somewhere more interesting to go than being with me with the time we, was, we were together. Like, I always, like he was always <laughs> coming from getting beat up in jiu-jitsu or heading to jiu-jitsu or, I don't know, I just, I, I turned 51 recently and I literally, I was kind of sad about it. And I literally, last week, was thinking, you know what? Look at Anthony Bourdain. He's 61. He's still like the coolest guy on the planet. If I can be like that at 61, I'll, I'll be so lucky.
Yeah, yeah. Uh, the coolest guy on the planet. So many people wanted to be him. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's devastating. He was a hero, he was a giant, and beloved by so many people. So many people don't, don't even know him uh, are, are, are devastated. Uh, it's hard to understand this loss, and especially in these uncertain times when everything seems, uh, you know, on the verge of falling apart. Uh, we needed a voice like his, and that's why this loss is especially devastating. Is there a moment that you shared with him that, that you would want to share with us? <laughs> Tony was savvy. Um, we were at the Culinary Institute of America where he had graduated from doing an event. And um, this was early in his career. And he was still smoking then. He gave that up. He looked around and said, you know what this is about, Rollman? Draw on a cigarette. Fame maintenance. Um, he, was, he, was, uh, he was a savvy uh, entertainer. Uh, he knew he needed he needed ratings. Um, so it, it, he had this remarkable balance of savvy, uh, sensitivity, uh, extraordinary intelligence, uh, lightning fast wit, um, and, and, and humor. There's just, it's, yeah. it's a combination that is so unusual. And, and for someone who was such, I mean, a global celebrity, he made fun of himself and, and took the piss out of himself uh, as much as anybody else, which is a, a rare quality, I think, in, in a lot of people who, who achieve that kind of level of, of fame. Um, Michael, I, I really appreciate you being with us. I, I know it's, it's, I mean, difficult is, is a, is a it's small a hard day. word. Yeah. It's a hard day. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate you, uh, you sharing some memories with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. After death, like Anthony's, it's easy, of course, to ask the question why. Sometimes there isn't any clear answer. There is hope if you or someone you know is struggling. Up next, we'll talk with a doctor who's devoted her career to suicide prevention. She shares her advice on where to turn if you or, or someone you know needs help. Remember, to create an ad like this one, visit purewinning.com CNN. You see a landscape absolutely untouched by time. If you were, hypothetically speaking, to put some glacier ice into your scotch at a remote uh, scientific research base, it's just bright, hypothetically it's, it's speaking. bright blue, and the person putting it in your drink might tell you this ice is a tens of thousands of years older than even the concept of scotch. <laughs> It's wow. a talking about Antarctica tonight. We remember chef, author, world traveler Anthony Bourdain, a friend of this program, part of our CNN family. Anthony died by suicide earlier this week. So did designer Kate Spade. Suicide is one of the top ten causes of death in the United States. It is on the rise, according to a new CDC report. Suicide rates have increased more than twenty-five percent from nineteen ninety-nine to two thousand and sixteen. In two thousand and sixteen alone, about forty-five thousand lives were lost to suicide. More than half of those people had not been diagnosed with a mental health condition. Joining me now is Dr. Christine Moutier, chief medical officer of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Um, thanks to you for being with us. I want to read two quotes. Um, Tony's mom told the New York Times, he's absolutely the last person in the world I would have ever dreamed would do something like this. I can't tell you how many times we, we hear that in the wake of somebody dying by suicide. His friend Eric Repair, who had been with him before he died, uh, told his mom that, that Tony had been in a dark mood the past few days. For people out there who are, are suffering or, or know people who are suffering, what are signs they should look for? What can they do? 
Thanks, Anderson. There's so much that we can do if we understand that mental health is real, is dynamic, and just as much a part of our life as our physical health is. And so if you're noticing that there are changes going on in your sleep, your mood, your outlook, and realizing that the people around you, we're living in a culture where we have not become very mental health literate in terms of knowing that we can express the things that are really going on. I think fortunately we have a younger generation that's about authenticity and really talking about kind of the real deal. Mm -hmm. But so you have to understand that they may give more subtle indications of changes like feeling hopeless, feeling like they may be a burden to others. And those changes can can kind of brew for a long period of time. They can also come and go, or they can come on more precipitously. So we have to know how to act when we notice those things. If you have loved ones who seem to be uh, exhibiting some of those signs, do you talk to them about it? Because it's a a conversation. I think a lot of people are scared to bring up that word, scared that they're going to trigger something. Um, but I, but silence is probably not the way to go either. Right. Silence just keeps perpetuating this sense that it's something shameful that we can't talk about. As it turns out, people are talking about their mental health and what's going on on the inside. And it's a very freeing place to be when you can have genuine, deeper, authentic conversations with the people you care about, whether it's you are the one who's suffering or you're worried about somebody else. It deepens the relationship. And not just a one-time conversation, an ongoing thing. So it, it sort of destigmatizes the conversation. That's that's the ideal, is that you don't even have to wait until a crisis is right in front of you, but rather you're having these deeper check-in type of conversations, you know, on some regular basis, day to day. And if you sense that they are becoming hopeless or in, in terrible anguish, desperate, trapped like a burden, then asking them if they're having thoughts of suicide is a good thing to do that will not put people at risk. In fact, if you're going out of your way to say, I'm not judging you, I will never judge you, I love you no matter what, then that opens up that incredible space where they can actually reveal what's going on in that moment, which could be life-saving if they go on to get help. And if somebody is having those thoughts, I mean, we have the number on the screen, um, what, what is the recommendation for you? Absolutely. You can call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can text the crisis text line. You can talk to your primary care doctor, your pastor. I mean, the the key thing is to talk about it. And ideally with people who are trustworthy and won't judge, you know, won't come up with quick fixes, but will listen and simply care. Many, many people in the population are having suicidal thoughts right now. That's that we live with that reality as part of the human condition. And it, that there's no shame in that. It's what happens next. It's what we do to get through it. And we actually are very resilient at the core, but sometimes things disable I've also that. read studies that if you can, if somebody makes an attempt or is about to, if you can just avert it in that moment, they very well may not try it again. That's right. Yes. In fact, people who even survive a serious suicide attempt, more than 90% of them go on to live out their full natural lives. And certainly if they're having suicidal thoughts, but the lethal means are not available to them, there is a high likelihood that they won't go on to find another method Mm. and they will get through that moment and and tap back into their usual resilience and, and their usual ways of coping. Dr. Mucci, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Uh, Again, uh, if you or uh, anyone you know needs help, please call the number that you see in the corner of your screen. It's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-TALK. 
They're there 24-7. Still to come, Anthony Bourdain, the author and what an author he was. He had a voice all his own. The editor of his best-selling books joins me to share his memories. Also, the widow of Lincoln Park frontman Chester Bennington joins us. He also died by suicide. His wife warns the signs of depression are often hard to see. Her advice coming up next. I'm Andy Katz from March Madness 365, and on this edition of our show, I'll be joined by Syracuse's Tyus Battle. I've been just trying to improve all facets of my game, just being able to be more offensive, throwing the ball different ways, shooting the ball, I think that's improved, and uh, just my playmaking ability as well. Subscribe to March Madness 365 now at Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It's a dicey, contentious place to be, as I found out when I tried to visit Nagorno-Karabakh took a, you know, an official flight on a helicopter, an Armenian military helicopter into this ethnic enclave in what is technically, I guess, Azerbaijan mm. uh, to visit the majority Armenian population there. I immediately found myself PNG'd. Oh, right. I read about that. So I am per- officially persona non grata in Azerbaijan. Far-flung places. Anthony Bourdain did them so well. He had that in common with my friend and his, Christian Amanpour. Just before air, I talked with Christian. Christian, obviously your path, career path, and Tony's were, were very different, yet in a way you ended up doing the same thing, which is shedding light on, on places that we think we know. You know, you're absolutely right. I thought about that a lot, and I talked about it a lot with Tony. I knew him even before I he came to CNN, and we met through a fellow foodie here in England, and we talked about his route and my route and how we were both correspondents. You know, he never called himself a journalist, very proudly didn't call himself a journalist, but he was a correspondent. He went out and told the stories and brought them back, and he went to all the places that I did, whether it was Iran, whether it was Vietnam, whether it was Myanmar, wherever it was. He went to wherever any of us went as a foreign correspondent. But he told the flip side of the story, you know, through food, through pop culture, through the history, through the geography of the place and through his own unbelievable breadth of knowledge with his writing. He was able to tell us the ordinary side of the story in these extraordinary places and bring these breaking news stories, as he told me once, when there's a breaking news story, if you've seen Parts Unknown, you'll know about the people there, you'll know about the culture there. The way he could conjure up literally emotion, color, uh, even using profanity, which would no one else on CNN would be allowed to do, but it was used in a way that somehow, you know, it was okay. It was Tony Bourdain, and he was being normal, and he was showing us the normal side of the rest of the world. Uh, Christian, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Yeah, deeply, deeply, sorely missed and irreplaceable. Irreplaceable indeed. A longtime friend of Anthony Bourdain's joins me now. Daniel Halpern is also the publisher of his best-selling books, including Kitchen Confidential and Medium Raw. Daniel, thanks for being with us. You first bought the, you got the paperback rights to Kitchen Confidential. You bought the paperback rights. I remember reading that book. I mean, this was what, 1999, 2000. Right. And I didn't care anything about food, but it was just a fascinating, a fascinating read. I mean, that he was bringing you inside sort of the hidden realm of the kitchen. Well, it's that distinctive voice that he had and that he had all through his writing career. And it was basically his voice that you got on air, off air. He was... He was the same off-air as he was on-air. That was what was so remarkable about this man. He was the same on TV as he was across the table 
I want to read something from a passage from Kitchen Confidential. He wrote, do we really want to travel in hermetically sealed popemobiles through the rural provinces of France, Mexico and the Far East, eating only in hard rock cafes and McDonald's? Or do we want to eat without fear, tearing into the local stew, the humble taqueria's mystery meat, the sincerely offered gift of a lightly grilled fish head? I know what I want. I want it all. I want to try everything once. Such a distinctive voice. Well, it's a voice that once you hear it, you can't get it out of your head. And it's a voice that if, if you read a sentence of, of Tony's out of context, you know it's Tony's voice. Mm. What that is, I mean, there are certain writers, certain poets who have that. He had it in spades, but it was his speaking voice. He did sort of have the soul of a poet at times. He, he claims that he didn't understand poetry, and he was always worried about my connection to poetry. But he was a poet in so many ways. He was a poet in the way he perceived the world that he inherited. You knew him for 20 years. I mean, as a, as a friend, what was he like? Well, he was like he was when you watched him on television. He was very um, thoughtful. He was very moral, always. He was very um, shy. He, to me, he was a very shy man. Not that he couldn't stand in front of 5,000 people and blow them away, but basically he was not the guy talking at the table. He, he always had this uh, energy about him. I mean, I, I would have a meal with him and he'd be, you know, his, he would do this thing with his hand, his fingers would sort of touch each other. I felt like he was always, he was always like coming from uh, jiu-jitsu or going to jiu-jitsu or I always felt he had this kind of, just fascinating life. Like, he was always coming from somewhere interesting, going to someplace interesting. Well, he did the Brazilian jiu-jitsu every day. And people said today, I received a lot of different emails, and they said, well, he was so thin, was there a problem? And I said, he was always thin, but it was all rock-hard muscle. I mean, he was slammed to the ground by black belts every day. He loved it. He loved it. He loved it. Um, do He didn't really care who he was sitting next to. I mean, he... He genuinely was interested in other people's stories. That, that's the amazing thing. What, one of the emails today was from a woman who sat next to him at a dinner party. And she had watched him during the evening. And it didn't matter who he was talking to. He approached you in the same way that he would have approached Obama. Mm-hmm. That it was the same. You were the person in front of him. And he gave everything he had to that conversation. He was I mean, one of the... I mean, I don't use that term cool very often, but he was sort of one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Definitely one of the coolest. Yeah. And one of the shyest. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Halpern, thank you very much. Thank you. Terrible loss. Uh, I'll have more on Anthony Bourdain in just a bit, including a reaction from his girlfriend, Asia Argento. But first, I'll speak with widow of Lincoln Park frontman Chester Bennington. He also died by suicide. She talks about depression, the signs to watch out for, how difficult it can be to detect in a loved one, and how to deal with the sudden loss of a loved one. Hey, it's Howard Beck, and I've got former NBA champion and current Yes analyst Richard Jefferson on Bleacher Report's The Full 48. For me, winning the championship just validated, you know, me from a standpoint of, like, all I ever wanted to do was win. All I ever wanted to do was win on a high, high level. And so to get that, then it just made everything feel like it was worth it. The Full 48 is now available on Spotify. And, of course, you can always listen and subscribe on the Bleacher Report app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
incredibly successful uh, brilliant musician Chester Bennington, the frontman for Linkin Park, um, died by suicide in July. Like Tony Bourdain, he seemed to have everything to live for. Joining us now to discuss how difficult depression is to detect sometimes in advance, how hard it is to obviously deal with the sudden death of a loved one is Talinda Bennington, Chester Bennington's widow. Talinda, thanks so much for, for being with us. Um, Thank you for having me. The, the stigma that still surrounds suicide is something that is so harmful to people who are suffering from any kind of mental health issue. How, how, does, one, how does one fight against that? Really looking at the way we use the, the verbiage around um, uh, suicide and around mental health, uh, that's, a, that's just a starting point. One thing I, uh, I was guilty of a long time ago, and, and you know, people use the term somebody committed suicide. That's not really, you know, for survivors, that's not really a term that is appropriate because it's almost a judgmental term that they've sort of done something uh, that, that it's really death by suicide. I'm of the belief that using the word commit is, is something that you intend to carry out, you intend to do. And I don't believe somebody who is mentally stable, who is mentally unstable, has the ability to commit to anything, much less taking their life. That's one of the things. I mean, after somebody dies by suicide, the, the question is always asked why. And I certainly asked that after my brother's suicide 30 years ago. Um, I still don't know that I have an answer. And I'm not sure you can ever get into the head of, of somebody in the, in the final minutes or, or days of, of their life. What, what do you want people to know, though, about signs to look for or what to do, how to help somebody in your life? Um, suicide ideation um, is, is, the, is the forerunner to actual suicidal tendencies and thoughts. By ideation, and, you mean thinking about it, possibly even planning it? Yes, yes. And um, I believe that if we can kind of open the lid on that and talk about that, that's, that's one of the first stepping stones to um, changing the culture about how we, how we speak about mental health. Um, you know, it's like, it's like bricks. You know, you're building a wall, and if you get to that, po- that point in the wall, it's so tall, then your next step is to do self-harm, serious self-harm in most cases. I, I can tell you I have not spoken to a single suicide survivor that says they wish that they would have succeeded. Um, and that, that really sticks with me. As far as signs for um, knowing change, I have partnered with an existing organization, changedirection.org. Um, I've co-founded 320 Changes Direction, 320 after my husband, and since that was his birthday. And we, um, we believe there are five signs that you can watch for. Uh, change in personality, uh, somebody feeling hopeless, feelings of agitation, and you can find these signs at changedirection.org. Are, are those things that, in retrospect, you saw in, in your husband? Because until one has gone through this, often you don't notice, one doesn't notice these sorts of, of signs. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I definitely saw them throughout our marriage um, at, at different parts. They would come and go. Um, I just wish I had, these, I had these tools. I wish the conversation was created um, in, in homes more regularly before my husband took his life because I think that it would have created some sort of awareness to know that we're not alone in, in what we're going through. Me as a wife and experiencing, um, you know, from the sidelines what he was going through and he himself, because I, I know for a fact he hated to have any, any label placed upon him of being depressed or an addict or, you know, whatever it was. He just, he hated that. Yeah. So... It's a hard conversation, it's a- though, for, 
for people who are having suicidal ideation or their loved ones to to have or to raise because you know people don't want to bring it up but at the same time not talking about it um that's not helpful either right well we're only as sick as our secrets and so if we can you know open the door um you know where our secrets are kept and we could find somebody or find a group some sort of support uh, to talk about that with for me personally right after my husband died it was on twitter of all places i i was reaching out to people um uh, i should say people were reaching out to me i was speaking back with them about what they were going through and how they were feeling and it's the overwhelming response was a lot of people feel the same way they're all going through this and everybody feels alone and um and it's just it's unbelievable so i think our, our society is ready we're ready for a change and um you know i i'm 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 sick of i'm sick of it being something embarrassing something people don't want to talk about well Tolinda, i appreciate you speaking out and being with us tonight thank you very much thank you thank you and i'm, and I'm sorry about the loss of your brother i just found out about well, that well thank you very much i it never goes away but it's uh, i I'm, i appreciate talking about it thank you Thank you. Time now to check in with Chris Cuomo to see what he and his team are working on for uh, Cuomo Prime Time. Starts in just a few minutes. Chris? All right, Anderson. And as you know, we all appreciate uh, you and others putting out their pain right now so that everybody else can learn about what is happening with so many in this country right now. We're going to talk, of course, about Tony Bourdain, what took his life. We're going to talk to one of his friends that he worked with at the Food Network and maintained a friendship right up until his way too early demise. And then we're going to take a turn in the show and we're going to take on and test what the real reason is for the president of the United States to want to add Russia back to the G7. Why would he do that? So we'll take on Bourdain and also the news of the day here on Friday night. Anderson. Chris, thanks very much. We showed you earlier President Obama in one of Anthony's episodes, his reaction to today's news when we come back. So many people around the world depend on CNN's quality reporting. And now they have an incredible online store with clothes, gear, and gadgets. Right now, you can get 15% off your purchase. Just visit store.cnn.com. And when you're checking out, enter the code CNN Podcast. Just one word. And get a 15% discount. It's that simple. That's store.cnn.com. We ask very simple questions. What, what makes you happy? What do you eat? What do you like to cook? And everywhere in the world we go and ask these very simple questions, uh, we tend to get some really astonishing answers. As a chef, Tony Bourdain became a worldwide celebrity, but he preferred to call himself a cook, a cook whose workaday beginnings he never forgot. And as we've been discussing tonight, he cut a wide swath. He made his mark. That was certainly on display in the way the world reacted today. The astronaut Scott, uh, Scott Kelly tweeted, Just saw the sad news that Anthony Bourdain has died. I watched his show when I was in space. It made me feel more connected to the planet, its people and cultures, and made my time there more palatable. He inspired me to see the world up close. From his friend, his friend and fellow chef, Erica Repair, who found Bourdain unresponsive in his hotel room, Anthony was my best friend, an exceptional human being, so inspiring and generous, one of the great storytellers who connected with so many. I pray he is at peace from the bottom of my heart. My love and prayers are also with his family, friends, and loved ones. 
This response from a man named Jeremy Lincoln in Erie, Pennsylvania, sums up a great deal. Jeremy wrote it to a CNN interactive page. I get 60 minutes a night to escape the stress of my work. Kids are sleeping. My, my time begins. Parts Unknown took me to my alter reality where I could travel, experience life, live unattached. I live vicariously through his show. He was a friend I never met. His measured, calm tone with a touch of rat race angst related to me. President Obama, who, as we showed you earlier, ate noodles and drank beer with Tony in Hanoi, tweeted, low plastic stool, cheap but delicious noodles, cold Hanoi beer. This is how I'll remember Tony. He taught us about food, but more importantly, about its ability to bring us together to make us a little less afraid of the unknown. We'll miss him. And finally, his girlfriend, Asia Argento, on Twitter, Anthony gave all of himself and everything that he did. His brilliant, fearless spirit touched and inspired so many, and his generosity knew no bounds. He was my love, my rock, my protector. I'm beyond devastated. My thoughts are with his family. I would ask you to respect their privacy and mine. On a personal note, my brother Carter died by suicide 30 years ago. Not a day goes by that I don't think about him, and not a day goes by where I do not still ask the question why. Sometimes there isn't any clear answer or any answer that makes sense to someone who's not in deep pain, pain that's hard to comprehend unless you've been there. Remember, there is help. 1-800-273-TALK is the number for the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, and people are there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Reach out. Help is a phone call away. Thanks for watching 360. And remember, there's a special broadcast at 10 p.m. Eastern tonight, remembering Anthony Bourdain. Time to hand it over to Chris Cuomo for Cuomo Prime Time, which starts now. Are you ready to learn how to build a better consulting or professional services company? Then download the Liston.io show for the best sales and marketing advice so you can deliver your services to the people who need you the most. On the show, I'll be interviewing the smartest people in the industry to share what they know about building a better consulting business. I'll also give you episodes where I tell you specifically how to sell your services with confidence and how to transform into an influential leader in your industry. Your happy clients probably want to help you. It's too hard for them right now. You're asking them to do too much of the selling that you should be doing. Yeah, it's going to move. It's going to change. It's going to disrupt you at some point in time. Your most loyal clients are your most profitable. Ready to learn how other people are building the consulting company you've always wanted? Download the Liston.io show spelled L-I-S-T-O-N dot I-O wherever you get your podcasts. Before you go, we wanted to let you know that we just launched the ability for anyone to advertise on CNN Podcasts. You're just a few clicks away from reaching millions of people in a way that you never have before. Advertise for a business event or kick off an awareness campaign for your brand. Start today at purewinning.com slash CNN. Integrating podcasts into your marketing mix has never been easier. Go to purewinning.com slash CNN to get started.